right, guys. Welcome to another edition of Texans Unfiltered. Uh, we are blessed to be joined by Antonio Camardi. David, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to uh, talk with me today. I'm super excited to talk to you. I see a potential cornerback one. I uh, can move very well. Does can play man to man very well. I think that he is a better quarterback than Patrick Mahomes. He does things that are so amazing, and the competitor in him is just special. Um, I'm excited, man, and I I can't wait to get there. I think it does really fit my skill set. All right, I want to welcome everybody to another episode of Texans Unfiltered. Thank you so much for deciding to spend your Tuesday nights with us. First off, last week, we were kind of depressing. We were kind of down. We really, really weren't happy about everything that was going on. Uh, this week, we'll try and be a little bit more positive. We'll be a little bit more upbeat, I hope, maybe. Um, well, we're going to hop right into it. It's the thing that everybody continues to talk about. Unfortunately, this is a huge story. The potential that a top three quarterback could be moved in the NFL, it's not going to die. It's not going to go away. However, rest assured, we are here to let y'all know why we shouldn't stress it too much. Like we should take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. Is it still possible? It's entirely possible. You never know what's going to happen day to day, but just the logistics around it actually happening are pretty extreme. So Pat, you want to kind of, kind of lead off? Yeah. So we're at the point right now where we don't know what's going to happen. Right. We keep seeing Schefter beating the dead horse daily, every other day. There's something new from him. Not really new, but he keeps bringing it back up. He's put out zero new information. Um, He's just regurgitating the same stuff over and over and over again, but in different wording and different forms. Um, And it's driving everybody crazy, right? And rightfully so. Um, Nobody in this fan base wants to see Deshaun Watson traded because, you know, they've waited 19 years to have a quarterback like this, and he's here. So... Um, and now it's to the point where we've gone through denial, we've gone through, you know, all these stages and we're at the grief stage now where we got to kind of come around to the idea that it, it's very possible that they do end up trading him. Um, the only thing is we don't have a baseline for this scenario. Um, people keep saying, oh, it's two firsts or two firsts and a player. That's what Jalen Ramsey was traded for. That's what Jamal Adams was traded for. Those are defensive guys that are, you know, top of the game, best at their position, one of the best at their position, but that's not a franchise quarterback. So when you sit back and you try to look at what would it actually take to move to Sean Watson, you're talking about a team that's going to give up two, maybe three years worth of first round draft picks. And that's if it's the Jets giving up two this year and more next year. That's a lot. So, is there really anybody out there that could feasibly do this? Sure. But are they willing to sacrifice that much stuff to go get a quarterback? and mortgage their future. I don't think so. So Jordan, 
in your yep. opinion, what would it take to trade for Deshaun Watson? <sighs> There's been a lot of offers out there, and, and I hear what Pat saying is it's it's an unprecedented trade. It's an unprecedented caliber of player um, because of the na- na- the natural value that a quarterback has to a team, and and how Deshaun Watson's would improve himself. So I think I'm not accepting anything less than four first round picks. That's where it's got to start at for me. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be, you look at the Jets and the Dolphins. Those are always the two uh, teams that they're throwing out there. They have multiple firsts this year. So I want both of your twos this, both of your firsts this year in 2022 as well. And then 2023 as well. It needs to be that drastic. I need second round picks as well. At least three second round picks. And then ideally a player from the Jets. Maybe it's Quinn and Williams. He's been a guy thrown around. Um, ideally Sam Darnold getting a quarterback in return as well would be nice. Not someone that you're counting on, but someone who could, you know, potentially punch a lottery ticket for potentially be a lottery ticket for you. Um, so a Sam Darnold, Quinn and Williams, four first round picks, three second round picks. That would start the conversation for me with the Jets, with the Dolphins, a similar thing. And then maybe Tua Tagovailoa and I don't know, someone on that defense um, would be, that's where I'd want to start the conversation as painful as that conversation is. Pat, what, in your opinion, what would it take? I think kind of right along what Jordan said, it's got to be four first round draft picks, you know, a couple mid late round picks and a player or two, you know, and as somebody mentioned earlier, doing all that is it's going to put Deshaun right back in the same situation that he faced this past year where it's going to deprive a team of a ton of assets to gain that, you know, franchise quarterback. So what are they going to be able to surround him with? Who do the Jets have right now on that roster that makes it attractive for Deshaun? Besides a head coach and Robert Sala, there's not much. They lost Robbie Anderson in free agency. Um, the running back situation is very bleak. Their offensive line is mediocre at best. The defense is pretty bad, and it has a lot of the guys in the secondary that were on one or two year deals that are very you know, possibly soon out the door. So, okay, they got Keenan Williams, but they're going to end up trading him if it's going to come down to it, right? So to me, the Jets don't make any sense. They have the assets, but for Deshaun, does that make sense? I don't think so. I think it's it's got to be Miami, San Francisco. That's it. Those John are the two that even come up what do you think would take to trade Deshaun? so first i just want to point out that no team has the assets to make this work if he gets traded if it gets to that point then the texans are going to end up losing this trade anyway like jordan and pat said i want like i want a four first round draft four first round draft picks a few um second round picks for the next year and possibly the next year. And you have to give me at least um, one or two of your players. The only team that I see Deshaun possibly going to is the Jets or the Dolphins. Like they said, there is no other place for Deshaun to go realistically. And if he went to the Jets, I don't even see them being um, contenders for at least the next four to five years. So he's kind of stuck in a rock in a hard place right now. Yeah, that's ultimately the point that we were trying to make. 
is no team has the assets to trade for Deshaun. It no. just does not exist. What they would have to do would deplete themselves so much that they would not be able to be a contender for four to five years. The most years in advance that a team can trade is three. So they already have to have an additional first round pick and then be able to trade next year and the year after to even get, I think, to even come to the table. Mm -hmm. So that realistically only leaves the Dolphins. And also, you got to remember, it takes two to tango. Like all the trades that have been thrown out before where players have forced themselves into another situation or forced, and I say that with quotations, like once you dig deeper into the story, the team wanted to get rid of them. Can anybody think of a trade where the player absolutely forced themselves out of a situation where the team wanted to keep them? In the NFL. NBA is different, but yep. in the NFL. No. no. I really can't. The closest thing is Jalen Ramsey. It's a different league. Yeah. Sorry. It's just it, nothing comes close to this. We've never seen this. Exactly. It's a different league. And you brought up the NBA. It's a different league. It's a different uh, CBA. The players, they don't have as much power. Like, What, what is Deshaun going to do? Is he going to sit out for the rest of the season? Sure. What about next season? He's going to lose more money and more money and more money. Okay, he can probably afford it. He's a, he's a very well-off man. But there comes to a point where, you know, we all know, we've all seen that Deshaun is a competitor at heart. He wants to win not just games, but Super Bowls. And you said it like the Jets, Dolphins, whoever it's going to be, they're going to deplete their chances of surrounding him with a Super Bowl-worthy roster. So I just don't see him holding out for this long and, and really forcing our hand. It just doesn't seem realistic. And yeah, I mean, not that's one of the reasons that I brought up the only reason the Dolphins make sense. I, I forgot to add this part in is Deshaun wants to be legendary. He has emphasized that out of the Dolphins and the Jets might have enough capital to actually make it work. Only the Dolphins are in a position where they are close to being a competitor. They miss yep. the playoffs by one game. the Jets need all those assets. The only reason. The only reason he would go to New York and agree to go to New York, because remember his other his own his little bit of power is he can choose his destination. First, mm -hmm. the Texans have to agree to him, and we'll we'll talk about that here next. First, they have to agree to trade him. They have to want him out. Then it has to be to someplace that has enough assets. Mm -hmm. And Deshaun has to not use his no trade clause. So I guess if he really wants to go to New York, he doesn't want to be legendary. He wants to be famous because maybe that would happen in New York. Maybe you'd have a better shot of that in New York. Maybe, but that's against everything that he has ever said he stands for. Yeah. Their owner isn't any better than ours. Yeah. Oh, Woody is terrible. Woody's horrible. Woody is terrible. And, and it's the most dysfunctional franchise in the NFL. Like as much as we complain about ours and we're, we're heading that direction. I mean, we really are. And hopefully we don't screw up this coaching hire, but we didn't just have Adam Gase. Like, the Jets are a bad franchise. So, I don't know. I, I just can't see it happening. And then the point that I want to make about both sides of taking two to tango is Jalen Ramsey. He... Became such a distraction. The Jaguars didn't want to trade him. They ended up doing so. 
DeAndre Hopkins, there was friction there, and it's painful to talk about, but he knew what to make the Texans do to want to trade him. And we all unfortunately know that story. It's part of the reason why Jack Easterby is enemy number one. But again, if the Texans didn't want to trade him, he would have still been on the team. The only one that I can actually, th- or Jamal Adams, we are, he was like straight dogging his coaches on Instagram. Like, of course, the Jets were going to get him out of there. The only yeah. situation that I think that might be similar also happened on the Texans because, of course, we chase, chase away really great players. And that was Dwayne Brown. But looked how the, te- the Texans originally handled that. They let him sit out. They let him sit out for half the season. Mm-hmm. They didn't go to the negotiating table. They didn't tra- uh, try to trade him until... Bob McNair put his foot in his mouth, made the comment, gave Dwayne all the gasoline he needed to, do, to have to set that locker room on fire. And at that point, that's when the Texans kind of decided they wanted to trade him. Before that, they, they were like, no, we're good. We're going to keep you. So, again, we all huge fans of Deshaun. And honestly, I wish he had more power. I wish NFL players do. What they put their bodies through, they should have more say. And I hate it that he wants to leave. Like, I wouldn't want him to but I don't think he has an option. And then, Pat, is there any reason why Nick Cesario would actually want to trade Deshaun? No. I mean, you work your, he works his entire life to become a GM, right? He's put up with years and years and years of being with the Patriots, um, put in all his time, and he finally gets a shot. And GMs, spend a fair amount of their career unless they come into a situation like this working to find a franchise quarterback and now he's got it but his quarterback's upset and so i think i think when nick is done with the coaching search nick can get in front of deshaun get in front of deshaun's representation and try to hash things out. And I think it gets to the point where he doesn't bring Jack, he doesn't bring Cal, but he brings Janice. Hmm. And I think that's what it takes. I think it takes a warm body like Janice, who's super kind, who's super understanding. She's going to give you that, the love and the affection. Um, and she's going to sell them. She's going to sell them on being here because they get along great. Janice and, and Deshaun have a great relationship. Now I understand Cal and Deshaun's relationship is severed, but I think Janice would be the one that could swoop in and save this. Um, I just, I cannot see Nick Casario having that type of stain on his reputation this early in his career. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, if, if if everything that we've heard about Nick Castro is, is true from the Pats side of it, like that he is this great mind, he's a genius, he's he's gonna look to make winning football moves, right? To put together a competitive roster. Trading to Sean Watson is is the farthest move you can make from putting together a competitive and winning football team, right? It just does not make sense because he's a generational talent, and we can say that for two hours on the stream, but I, I won't continue to dive into that. And so I just don't see a way it happens, man. And I, and and I feel like a lot of this noise, a lot of the rumors, 
that are being fed to the media, I feel like it has to be coming from Deshaun's people, not necessarily Deshaun himself, but his agents. And they must know too that the odds of this happening, not very likely. It's never been done before. So I, I really am still going to beat this drum and hammer home and try and stick on this take that, you know, it's just, it's just a tactic. It's just a leveraging tactic. It's a negotiating tactic to, to put the pressure on Cal McNair, make the right moves, you know, hire Eric B fire Jack East to be continue to keep Deshaun Watson happy and put together um, the best team that he around him, you know, keep guys that he likes like Tim Kelly and Will Fuller. And it's just stuff like that, that that's where I really think this is coming from. And I hope I'm right. Obviously, it's just my opinion, but I don't know, man. I just, I still can't accept it. I still can't believe that this would happen in any world. John, yeah. what do you think? My biggest question is, does Nick Casario want to start off his first year as Texans general manager by trading away like the third best quarterback in this league? No. If he did that, the entire city would hate him. I feel like most people have some trust in Casario. What he's doing with the coaching search, he's being patient. Um, and if he were to trade Watson, that would be very, very bad. Like I would have no words. You see, here's the thing. Uh, Casario learned under Belichick. He learned how to be cold-hearted. Um, Belichick is infinite, infamous for being cold-hearted. And I, he's, he's a very smart football mind. And again, this is going to make y'all hopefully feel better. Deshaun's only option is to not play. And if he doesn't play, he doesn't get paid, and he does not accrue a season on his contract. So if anything, the Texans save money, get probably the first overall pick next year because we're going to be really bad without Deshaun. He just doesn't have the leverage he thinks he has. The only leverage that he has, he, it, you're seeing it right now. He hasn't requested a trade, and it's all over the media. This is it. This is what he has. And he's obviously trying to get changes made and more power to him because I agree with every change that he once made within the Texans org organization. Like I have zero problem with anything that he is trying to get done. But that is obviously all he's got. Like I'm, I mean, hopefully y'all feel a little bit better, but I guess because <laughs> he's just, I don't see him going where Casario is not going to risk his reputation by trading away a top three quarterback. And if you look at the playoffs, it's a quarterback league. Like it's an absolute joke that we weren't in the playoffs with a quarterback like Deshaun. But it is a quarterback league. That's what makes the difference. Deshaun is one of those players. And I'm going to use that as a segue into what Mr. Arian Foster said. Arian Foster, personally, one of my favorite, favorite Texans of all time. Um, I wish he had a couple more years so he would be more universally beloved. But he's also very, very smart. What he said about the situation, he's a generational quarterback. You are not going to have another quarterback like him for the next decades. You bend to his will. If you have that kind of generational talent, get him involved. But if they are smart, they will bend to his will. You can have five first-round picks, and you're not going to get a talented quarterback like that. You already have one, why, so why not invest in one you've got? Arian is 100% right. 
he actually knows what it's like to be held back by his quarterback. You put Arian and Deshaun on the same team. You put Arian, Deshaun, and Andre Johnson on the same team. We don't even need a defense. He knows what he's talking about. But my question coming from this is Arian's still kind of mad at the franchise. Did y'all listen to the interview? Did you listen to the whole thing? Any chance? I did not. not yet. He brings up very similar things that he brought up when he had Dwayne Brown on, on the podcast, on his own podcast. The Texans have a bad habit of finding good players and not keeping them. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that ultimately seems to be the root of Andre Johnson's frustration. It was the same as Dwayne Brown's frustration and it was Arian Foster's frustration when he was a Texan. Is that continuing? Feels like it. Yeah, even in the past even in the past few years, not re-signing guys like DJ Reader, uh Kareem Jackson, Honey Badger. List goes on and on, letting AJ Boye get away from us. Like it's insane. It's not even just the superstars like a Deshaun Watson you get once in your lifetime. It's it's the the level down from them and even a tier lower it's it's all those guys that we're just not able to retain and and to me when it's a consistent pattern of that it's not just you know how successful you were that year it's not just maybe that they didn't get along with the head coach like sure that played a part in it but it's the culture that comes from the top when it's consistently like this for the past like 15 years 10 15 years like that's when it tells you it's from the top and the players know the players know a lot more than we do. Obviously, they're in the building every day. And so they talk to a lot more people that we do and that we have access to. And, and they hear a lot more things and they're treated different ways. And so it's frustrating. It's frustrating as fans because we get invested in these players. We love them to death. We want them. We want to root for them. We want them to have success for our favorite team. And then a couple of years and that's it, really. It's just very underwhelming and very frustrating. And uh, Foster's definitely... He's preaching to the choir, man. Pat, do we yeah, have any I guesses mean, why this is happening? Like, I mean, if you look at the teams the Texans have put together and the talent that they have found, like, there's no joke for us to be considered a mediocre. There's no excuse for us to be considered a mediocre franchise. It all starts at the top. If ownership is not willing to make the necessary adjustments and, um, put the people in the front office in a position to succeed, to keep these guys, um, you're going to continue to have a high turnover of good talent. And it's not even the best guys. It's your mid-level guys that are your make or break down the stretch. You know, this year, this team really needed some solid depth at secondary. And they had Philip Gaines, Keon Crossan. And, you know, it was just awful. You know, they could have, you know, I get it. Roby got suspended. That was a little unexpected. That's not anybody's fault. Um, they come into the season knowing Gary on Conley is a giant question mark, and they did absolutely nothing to address it. And so I get it. They're a little bit strapped on cash. But when you've paid Whitney Merciless what you've paid him, when you've paid Nick Martin what you've paid him, um, you're shooting yourself in the foot. You're overpaying mediocre talent and subpar talent what you could be paying the guys that actually produce um it's just 
it's been a it's been a habit for them. I don't I don't get it. I don't understand it. Um, I had one player that I talked to recently that said, you know, we we went to the negotiating table. Um, we gave them our number. They came back with another number. Uh, we countered, and then we never heard from them again. Like, why? And then you look at the Kareem Jackson situation. He doesn't even get a phone call from the team to say, hey, we're going in another dire- direction. They don't even call his agent. They just, you know, cut him off completely at the knees. He's left out to dry. You know, luckily he landed on his feet in Denver. You know, had a pretty good year. But it's like, come on. These guys are out there sacrificing their bodies for you. And the least you could do is give them a phone call. You're not even doing that. But you don't show any loyalty at all to the guys that have been there with you for the years and put up with all the crap, um, never complained, just like Andre Johnson. Andre Johnson is the epitome of a team player. That guy right there dealt with years and years of shit at quarterback. And then towards the end of his career, continued to take pay cut after pay cut after pay cut when the team asked him to so they could go and sign other talent to surround him and put on the defense, and it still didn't work. And he got frustrated, so that's why he left. Same thing with Foster. Same thing with Dwayne Brown. They were just tired of it. Yeah, it's as a fan. How does does that make you feel? Say that again. I can't hear you. You're cutting off. As a fan, from a fan's perspective, how does how does all this turnover? Watching these guys come in, come out, and I mean, we keep like a couple of guys. Like we kept Johnson longer than we should. We'll probably, I mean, JJ's probably gone. But for the most part, like just watching this turnover on on the roster, quality guys that you go to go somewhere else and make Pro Bowls. Oh, it feels terrible. Um, the ownership obviously doesn't give a single crap about our opinion and the fan base. This has been proven multiple times, and we're seeing it right now. Um, we don't want to see everything that's been happening. This team has a consistent consistency of doing what it's doing right now. We don't utilize the players we should be, and we are – excellent at um, giving out stupid trades and all of that. It's it's just terrible. I don't even like talking about it because as a fan, I hate talking crap about my team, but this is what the ownership has been doing. Jordan, you look like you had something to add. Yeah, I was just going to say going along the lines of what Pat was talking about and, and treating the players with no respect, basically. And it's it's crazy to me because Cal McNair, they talk a big talk about, you know, about their family values. They preached a whole lot in Nick Casario's um, press conference how he's a family man and, and you know, we operate in, in great faith and all that bullshit. Um, and I don't mean to say faith is, is bullshit, but I just mean that their, their words are bullshit because when you look at their actions, they don't treat the players with the respect that you would treat, you know, if you are really so valuable on, on family. You know, and I'm not saying, you know, obviously it is a business, but just have the basic level of respect to, like Pat said, return a phone call, especially when it's it's a business decision that impacts your life so damn much. Just have the common courtesy 
to reach out and, and let them know what's going on. And that's what's really annoying to me. When they talk a big talk, they talk about family and all that. And they treat them like just not even assets. Like, I, I don't even want to say assets. They're not even like human beings to them. They don't take their emotions into consideration. It's what it almost feels like. So that's just my little mini rant that I wanted to get off my chest. No, and I mean, it, it's interesting because do you ever read Steph Stradley? I do. She's a great writer, yeah. She is. And one of the things, though, that she brought up is the Texans always had this culture of super, super nice to your face. Yep. They may have been incompetent, but they were crazy nice to your face. And granted, since a certain somebody has joined the organization, that's changed. So it's, I don't know, it's one of those things that this new culture they're trying to build, I don't really know what to think about it because it's a mess. It seems like they are already kind of had a fake culture, but I'm, I'm not sure. Um, they, they used to be a team the players actually did want to play for. That when you had J.J. Moses and you had Amy Palsik, like the players, especially the players that are very involved with charity, they loved them. Like ultimately, I'm willing to bet if you look at um, Andre Johnson, if you look at his relationship with those two, that's part of the reason why he's so upset. They had locker rooms that were really well bonded and you could talk about when players would leave, they would always talk about the other players in their locker room and just how close they were. Like I've never heard it with any other team to that same regard. Now I think Easterby is coming in and he's trying to break that. And I think that's what a lot of this is actually I don't think I know he's trying to break that. I think that's what a lot of this is actually circling around back to like these guys that used to play for each other. Like Foster is still coming to the defense of these guys. And he says he hasn't really even talked to him or even thought about football in years, but he's still quick to stand up for his guy. And you really don't see that in other cities. Yeah. And to me, what you were just saying, the, the culture in the locker room, that ties back to something else that we had reported on a while back, and that was J.J. Moses and when he was fired. Um, and he was fired by Bill and Jack, and they told him that they didn't like the way that he was interacting with the players. Yet a month after he was fired, he receives an award for being the best at his job in the entire league. Like, it's mind-blowing. He was doing exactly what he was supposed to do. The guys loved coming to work. The guys loved being in that locker room with each other. And he was fired for it because it wasn't – they. Bill and Jack were afraid that the players weren't going to just fall in line. And it's it's frustrating. It's, it's frustrating well, hearing yeah. that from the guys I mean, in the locker room especially. They were trying to emulate the Patriots. Like between Amy Palsik and J.J. Moses, Jack Easterby didn't have a purpose. Those two took care of everything that he did at the Patriots. Like when you sit there mm -hmm. and you talk about the relationships that are built, those two took care of them. It shouldn't be a mystery why those two people are now gone. And they were both award winners at their positions. If you look at the culture that those teams had while they were there, very, very good culture. 
and talked about it at length, several shows. Bill O'Brien never lost the locker room. Took Easterby one season to lose the locker room. All right, before we move on, does John V, did you have something you wanted to say? You look like you did. No, I was just, I was going to say what Pat said, but he said it for me. Sorry. All right. No worries. All right. So who's next? We got to give everybody an update on the coaching search. That's what we all care about. That's why we're here. Um, as of right now, it is 932 at night. There has not been any announcements. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I do know for a fact that I know for a fact the enemy has been looking at other coaches to join his staff. So mm -hmm. that, that could be exciting news. It's not a guarantee of anything, but it's pretty cool. I've also heard rumors that Frazier is doing the same, but I don't have any names. So, Pat, any updates? Any good news? Bad news? Things to just kind and of the good ponder? News is they're, not, they're not making a move right now. Like, just because Frazier interviewed today does not make him the leader in the clubhouse. They really want to interview Cully again tomorrow. Um, they've interviewed Caldwell twice. Both of us have been over the phone. He's not had an in-person interview. Um, and they still want to wait for who's being touted as the best offensive coordinator in the NFL, and that's Eric Bieniemy. Um, as I said the other night, I think Nick needs to play this slow because there's zero competition. He is not competing against another team right now for a head coach, and he's got his guys all lined up right in front of him. So unless Leslie came in today and just – completely blew them away with something. I don't think he gets hired right now. Um, unless Cully does that tomorrow, then I don't think he gets hired either. Um, and I, th I think they wait. I really do. Unless the NFL makes another exception to allow them to interview the enemy again, even if it's over the phone or on a Zoom call. Um, I think we're waiting until the 25th. Is it the 25th? Is it that late? Damn. No, it's not that late. Maybe this should be in two weeks, right? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right. You mean the fifth? The 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 eighth. The eighth. Right. Okay. February eighth. Well, I mean, yeah. when Shen was hired by the Niners, it was announced before the Super Bowl, so maybe. Yeah, I feel like. I'm sure it would be leaked. <laughs> yeah, it'll be leaked. If if that's the direction they're gonna go. Um, could but one thing we've a, noticed. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Could somebody do me a quick favor and look up and see if Frazier is still under contract for next year? Um, I would like to point out because there is a lot of um, talk about whether or not he'd be brought in as an assistant head coach. Um, like he could be possibly applying for that position. If he's under contract, he can't change teams unless he's promoted. And he's already an assistant head coach. So the only promotion is head coaching. Um, so. Technically, the way it works, like with Cully right now, he's the assistant head coach and the wide receivers coach. So if they were to hire him as the assistant head coach and offensive coordinator, the Ravens can't block it. That's technically a promotion. Um, with Frazier, being that he's the assistant head coach and the defensive coordinator, um, if he is under contract, the, the Bills would have to let him leave. Okay, I was not aware that that with Cully that would actually okay learn. Yeah. You learn something every day. I read it wrong. It's one of those but, weird loopholes. 
Yeah. With Cully, though, that's interesting because why are they blocking Tim Kelly from taking interviews? One, to appease Deshaun. And two, because they, they want to keep him around, whether it be offensive coordinator or just to make sure that he's there if the incoming coach wants to keep him. And that way they don't lose him like they did Anthony Weaver to the Ravens. But isn't that kind of – why would Tim Kelly be so excited to stay if he was not main um, – main, retained, I'm sorry, retained as the offensive coordinator. By blocking him while he still has the title, he can only be hired away if he's promoted. But if they keep him and then demote him to QB coach, he could be hired away like instantly. And if he feels after a demotion that he was slighted, that he actually had a chance at an OC job, wouldn't he be pretty upset? Wouldn't that be kind of a bad thing that we've done? I mean, I'm sure the conversations happened if, you know, hey, do you want to go another direction? Do you want out? Do you want to be a part of this moving forward? Um, I know I had I screwed up and went off of some false information saying that he had interviewed for the head coaching position when in actuality he had to sit down with Nick, um, kind of get to know you type of thing. And I'm sure that came up in that meeting. You know, you know, ask him, hey, do you want to be a part of this moving forward? Um you know, no guarantees on what position you'll have, but would like to keep you type of thing. So, and I'm sure the same thing happened with Weaver and Weaver said, you know, I've got this opportunity. I'd like you guys to let me go ahead and take it. So he did. All right. Um, so I guess Jordan, what do you think about them keeping Tim on staff um just talking about because pat talked about all the kind of like details of it i think just kind of like logistically on on the on a football sense like i like it um i think whether whatever his role is oc passing game coordinator quarterback coach maybe back tight end coach um i think he showed enough during his rookie season at oc that you know it warrants him getting another chance for sure um his offense he he did the best job that any coach Deshaun Watson has had at, at tailoring his offense to Deshaun's strengths and to the strengths of the personnel you know really attacking downfield utilizing Will Fuller and Brandon Cook's speed utilizing Deshaun Watson's um, ability to throw the deep ball and so I think he showed a lot of reasons for optimism and I would love him back I would love him back I hope um like to your point that Eric Bieniemy is is forming his staff I hope that Tim Kelly his name is on that I hope so and okay, what is the deal with Romeo Cornell? Why is John McClain saying that he's going to stick around? Like, Cornell is 78. Is that Something correct? Like that. 78? I, I mean, I think what, he could be president because that's the same age as Biden. But I mean, other than that, he was the oldest head coach in the, in the league last year. Granted, it was an intern. And I think that's third oldest for any coordinator position. What are they, what are they doing with, with Rack? Do we have any idea? I think it's just one of those ones where, you know, they've just kind of left that door open. I don't think John was saying that he's going to be back for sure. I think John was just hinting that it's a possibility, depending on who the incoming coach is and whether they want to keep Romeo or not. Is that, I believe his contract is up next month or in March. So, 
know, they're not stuck to him at all. I, I very well believe that they could just move on from him and, you know, yeah, directions yeah. easily. Sorry, the interview that, um, I guess not interview, but when McLean talked on 610 today, I saw a lot of people panicking of, of the things that he was saying that, you know, Eric Bieniemy is no longer in the in the hunt for it and whatever, and then Frazier, Cully, and Caldwell are the main three guys. Like, if you actually listen to to the words that he was saying, it was, it was purely speculative. Like, it was basically that he thinks this is happening, and that's what he he thinks. The the guys were really pressing him, in my opinion, to get information out, uh, and, and I think he was just – it was just more opinionated than it was actual reports. I'm with you, Pat. Like, I don't think Cornell is really going to be back. I just don't see a world that that happens. All right. And do we think that Cully has a legitimate chance? Is that a real interview or is this that, that conspiracy theory out there that he's just being interviewed to find out more about the enemy? I think he's okay. Here's my, my big theory, Nick, his guys be enemy, his guys be enemy, but you know, Easterby, Bob Lamont, their guy is Frazier. That's their horse in this race. So they're really pushing that to Cal. Um, and, and I think, you know, Nick almost doesn't even see Frazier as a backup plan. That's how I'm, that's my thought to it. And so I think Cully would be more of his backup, backup plan, either Cully or Caldwell. That's how I kind of see it. Um, but I don't know. You guys, are you all thinking as crazy as me? I'm with you there too. Um, I, I agree with you. Um, I think Nick also wants um, Eric Bienemy, but he has... Um, He's also listening to um, Jack Easterby and Cal and people like and those people. So you know he's got to he's got to make those interviews and it's just a let let me listen to what they these people are saying and stuff. But I think Nick is um, set on the enemy. I think so too. And and with Cully, if I were to rank the four main guys, I guess it'd probably go the enemy, Caldwell. Cully and Frazier, they're like, I feel like they're basically the same person. Just one's like offensive, one's defensive. Um, so there would be like, I guess the three, th number third spot. But yeah, I don't, I don't think Cully has a really great chance. To be honest, I think it's a, it's a two man race between Bianami and, and Frazier. And I think because we haven't heard anything today, um, maybe they drop it early tomorrow morning. But I think if they were gonna hire Frazier, I feel like it would have been out by now. I feel like someone would have heard something. So, cross my fingers, man. I'm pretty much in agreement. I think that if Frazier is going to be the guy, they would hire him tomorrow because the Senior Bowl this weekend. But the only the only way I could see them passing on on Bienemy is if Bienemy turned them down. Do you yeah. any of y'all think that that is possible? If that he turns them down, that Bienemy turned down the Texans. No. He's not assemble. He's he's not out there making phone calls to assemble a staff to turn him down. That doesn't make any sense, right? Yep. Bingo. And my thinking is the only way that he does turn him down is if Deshaun like one hundred percent has already communicated to the enemy that that he's one hundred percent out the door. There's nothing that they can do. That's the only way that it makes sense to me. Um, I still don't see the enemy turning it down, even if that's the case. This is his one shot. He's, he's been he's been passed over way too much. Like the enemy oh, yeah. he absolutely is the most deserving coach out there to to have a job that doesn't have a job. Yep. And I just can't see him being the the odd man out again 
for the third third consecutive offseason and not taking it. I just can't. So the only way is if he did turn it down, but I don't see him. I don't really think that that's realistic that he would turn it down. This is his dream. And I mean, we yeah, all know that's talks not. Too. Y'all saw everyone was talking about the interview where the reporter asked him about the question um, about possibly getting a head coach job in that consideration. And you can just see the smile on his face. Like he genuinely mm-hmm. loves football. He genuinely loves that opportunity to compete and to rise up the ranks and be at the highest level of coaching you can be, right? I, I, could, I You can see it on his face. So I think he's going to take it. Yep. All right. Well, moving on. So a couple interesting hires this past week. Um, not on our staff, but on the Ravens staff, all of a sudden they are picking off our defensive coaches, both Anthony Weaver and DeAnton Lynn were both hired by the Ravens. Uh, Of course, Lynn was the secondary coach for the Texans, all time bad secondary, one of the worst secondaries in NFL history. Yep. He gets hired by the Ravens, a very well-run organization, same position. And Weaver, I mean, Weaver didn't have a lot to work with. Like, I don't want to, the defense was bad, but I don't want to place that squarely on Weaver because he, he just didn't have anything to work with. But he still gets hired pretty quickly back to a defensive line coach. Are y'all surprised by that? Not at all. Mm-mm. No, and I think the biggest, sorry, you go ahead first, Bob. Sorry, I, and especially, I don't know if many people saw it, but was speaking to Charles today um, during the interview. Uh, he spoke very highly of Weaver. Yep. And, you know, the way he talked about him, about being able to connect with him because he was a player, now he's a coach, um, that type of thing. Teams look for that, especially the Ravens. The Ravens have probably one of the best staffs out there, if you look at it through and through. They hire the right guys that the players get behind and then they want to play for. And Weaver's that type of guy. I know they didn't have the best success this year, but you know, I, I feel like taking that step back, being under Wink for a year or two, um, you know, refining his his play calling and stuff like that, uh, it, it'd be good for him. And I think he'll it'll take him a long way. And you know, he'll be back. He'll be back if he would be in DC somewhere soon. Yeah, that's exactly the point that I was going to make. Sorry. That's exactly the point I was going to make is that the players absolutely love him. They always talk about how great of a coach he is. And they always talk how much they respect him. And you you see on Twitter, all the main like defensive guys who are always active on Twitter, Omenahu, um, Jay Reed, Lonnie, they all showed their praise for him and, and their thankfulness for him. So that speaks to itself. And I think um, Weaver, he, he was so he's D-line coach and run game coordinator, if I remember correctly. And I think the one thing that he's really showed over the years is as a defensive line coach, his ability to coach up defensive tackles to become like pretty solid in run defense, you know, DJ reader, Brandon Dunn, um, guys like Angelo Blackson, Carlos Watkins showed out pretty well this year. He did decently. So to get those guys up to the level, you know, those are all late round picks. So I think that's something that, you know, the Ravens see value in. And like Pat said, taking a step back um, so we can learn from one of the better DCs in the game. It'll, it'll only help him. I think he's got a, he's got a bright future. And it's nice to see the Ravens adding fairly young coaches on their defense. But I was reading a few articles um, on the Baltimore Sun, and uh, Ravens fans weren't really happy about the hire. Well, they probably see our numbers, how our defense did this year. and But 
I don't think Weaver's going to have a lot of influence um, over the overall kind of scheme of that defense too much. Um, not just yet, at least. Not, Martindale is, is very good at what he does. So, Yeah, Wink Martindale is is a top-tier defensive coordinator. And, you know, we I, I phrased the question wrong. Weaver definitely can see why he got a positional job again. Completely makes sense, even though our defensive line was trash. Again, not on Weaver. But DeAnton Lynn, the secondary coach, he continued to send out Philip Gain. Like, how's he getting hired again so quickly? Uh, that's a good question. Nepotism. Because of his dad. The last name carries a lot of weight in the NFL. Um, you know, and again, he can go over there, learn a lot from Wink, um, still be paired up with Weaver. They can still pick each other's brains. Um the talent that the Ravens have in the secondary is a lot better than what the Texans have. Um, so I think they're, they're just kind of taking a chance on a young up and comer and uh, see where it goes. Yeah, I'll definitely say like, I'm a little bit sad to see Weaver go definitely because I like him as a person and I think he has potential, but with D'Antoni Lynn, I'm like, I could care less from like a fan perspective, obviously. Um, but just little things like, I mean, our cornerbacks could never even damn turn their head to find the ball. <laughs> like, it's just little things that little technique things that you'd expect out of a DB coach to to coach up, and and we never really saw that out of him. So, I'm fine with him going. You know, I'm fine with guys like Mike Devlin going and find some other job in in obscure state university. Like, I don't know <laughs> wherever he lands, but yeah. All right, I just want to take a minute to thank everybody for watching. Um, the live stream, please take a moment, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, please. It helps us, it helps grow our audience. It helps add more people to the chat, even though we have a lot of spammers tonight, but chat is usually a lot of fun. Um, next thing up, Jordan, you got questions? Yes, sir. Got questions. Y'all can always get at me at Texans underscore thoughts on Twitter. And we going to start it off from, you know, since we're already talking about this, we'll, we'll talk about, this is a good segue. So my guy, Texans optimist. Matt, he says, people you would want to keep on the staff that are currently on the Texan staff in their same role or different role. John, if you could pick one guy that we got from our current staff to keep, who would it be? Only Tim Kelly. Only Damn, Tim it. Kelly. Um, as passing game coordinator. I like it. Again, we kind of talked about his shortcomings in the run game. Um, kind of unexcusable in my in my humble opinion. Um, because I don't know everything that went into that, but he did have two easy buttons and he couldn't take advantage of it in the run game. So I don't want him to be the coordinator. Granted, with BNME, BNME was very, very creative in scheming up the run game in Kansas City. Um, there's a couple of plays out there where people have taken screenshots and they're like, find the ball, and it's legitimately hard on a frozen screenshot. So I can only imagine what it's actually like in a game. So maybe the enemy can help Tim Kelly with the run game. But if it's any other coach, passing game, coordinator, that's it. I hear you. I hear you. I think the other guy is uh, Tracy Smith stepped up as special teams coordinator for us. I wouldn't be, I would be mad if he, if he stays, but I'm with you. Nobody else. All right. We got another from Ryan Crossingham and he says, best case scenario. 
for the Texans offseason. Pat, what is our our best case scenario? Hire Eric Bannemi and retain Deshaun Watson. So pretty simple, point, huh? I don't I don't care how the draft goes. I don't care how free agency goes. Those two things need to happen. And then it's a win for me. Coming out of this and being able to retain Deshaun Watson is a huge W. And and the funny thing is if before all this Deshaun Watson news, before the head coaching hires got started, my best case scenario would also be to just just hire Eric Bieniemy. That's simple. That's that's all I wanted out of the situation. So we're still there. We can still turn around and, and get our best case scenario. All right. Um, Daniel Blake Hill asks, do you think for, as in Deshaun Watson, has been looking at the head coach position and is pulling for A, what's best for the team, B, what's best for him, or C, focusing on people of color. I think it is A, but from the outside, it seems like C is heavily in play. John V, what do you think out of those three options? Is Deshaun A, looking for what's best for the team, B, what's best for him, or C, focusing on people of color? A little bit of um, A and C. He wants to do what's best for the organization, okay? He's not just looking out for himself. He's looking out for um, his teammates as well. I say C, too, because... You have Eric Bieniemy and you have Deshaun Watson. You have. Oh shit! <laughs> um, hopefully Oops. we'll get her back soon. But I'm gonna continue her sentiment and basically say, you know, obviously Deshaun Watson um, wants to do what's best for the team. He's it's it's not like he let's not make him out to be this villain that wants to see the Houston Texans fail. <laughs> That's not what it is. All right. Um, but then also talking about number C, not number C, letter C and people of color right this is an organization from the top that has had racist remarks before and racist actions before so um if deshaun can get a person of color as his head coach that is also a great head coach candidate i don't see the problem in that right but john b is back with us now do you want to continue what you were saying yeah sorry my power went out again i was telling john earlier i haven't really had power today so my power is like going on and off so sorry about that but um what i was saying was you have a black head coach and you have a black quarterback. Doesn't happen too often. Um, and you have a quarterback like Deshaun doesn't come around too often as well. So he could obviously be looking out for himself, but he's not one to do something like that. I hear you. I hear you. All right. Let's move Jordan, on. Jordan, can I kind of just add a little bit to that? Go for it, John. Why can't it be a mix of all three? Why can't it not just be that he believes that a a coaching candidate of color is the best coach for him and the or, and the byproduct of that is for the organization? There's guys that have been out there that have obviously been passed over that shouldn't have because of things like nepotism things because they didn't fit the image that the team wanted to pro- uh, project. So why can't it be all three? It can be. I think John's right. Yeah. Definitely, definitely can be. I mean, what's best for Deshaun at the end of the day is, is I want to say is, is winning with the Texans. I want to say that because we can, we've shown that, you know, we have some pieces. Obviously, we need some more help, but 
he seems like a loyal guy and he wants to win for the city of Houston and he's established himself in the city of Houston, whether it's businesses, whether it's family relationships, stuff like that. It can all coexist together. It really can. And let's hope that happens. All right. Next one we got from Crenshaw. He says, what are some good running back and tight end free agents? You can see the Texans targeting this off season. Uh, John, I always get back to you with the, with the free agent questions, man. Somehow. I don't know. You don't know. Go to Pat. Pat, you got any favorites for running back and tight end? Man, I don't even know who's going to be a free agent tight end. Um, Man, I would really love Leonard Fournette. I would really enjoy having Carlos Hyde back. Um, I mean, outside of those two, I can't really see maybe Adrian Peterson, but he's just, he's older, and I would try to shy away from that. As much as I'd love to have an Adrian Peterson Texans jersey, but um Leonard Fournette would be my my top choice. And especially after seeing the way he's been just kind of come to life the past few weeks. That spin uh, move. That man. And that was LSU vintage Fournette right there. And he made me fall all in love with him again. So I would definitely go after Leonard Fournette. Um tight ends, maybe in Joku if he is he gonna be a free agent or he might get cut? I don't know. Um, he might get cut. Um, Johnny Smith is the only one that I can think of that's yep. out there. Be nice to steal Johnny away from the Titans, especially with Arthur Smith leaving. But he might end up in Atlanta then. That'd be a good fifth for him. Mm-hmm. That would be. Yeah. Um, running back for me, the guys you named. I also like Jamal Williams, uh, backup for Green Bay. Uh, Gus Edwards, the Ravens, those will be two guys. We're, I'm going to always preach, do not pay running backs big money. So I don't want to hear Aaron Jones. I don't want to hear, uh, who else is the other big name out there? I don't remember off the top of my head, but no sir for that. Running backs, not doing well after their second big contract. We've seen it time and time again with so many examples. Tight end, it's not that great of a crop this year, of a class this year. The other only guy that we haven't really mentioned is Hunter Henry, but I'm not his biggest fan, and I think he would want the bag. Uh, so, yeah, I'm cool with Jonu Smith. That would be nice. We got a blocking. We need more of a blocking tight end, and I think we'd be good with that with Farrow Brown. So if you keep Farrow Brown, you bring in Jonu Smith to be the receiving guy. Those are good mismatch of skills. All right. Um, one more question here we got from in Deshaun, we believe. But just kind of, I guess this is good to wrap up the night, you know, talk about, we talked about the trade before, but he wants to know if we do trade Deshaun for the second overall draft pick in the first round from the Jets, who would you draft? Do you guys have a favorite out of the quarterbacks or or maybe a different player, uh, John? It depends who comes with, I mean, it depends who comes with Deshaun um, hmm. or comes over in the trade. I think that Darnold getting away from Gaze could actually be a serv- serviceable quarterback. Um, Me too. So that happens. I mean, okay, um, maybe pass on a quarterback at that spot because there's a couple of guys that could fall. Um, my favorite quarterback out of this class is Trey Lance. I think that he Ooh. could develop, but he could not start day one. But, and this is throwing out Fields and uh, Trevor Lawrence. Um, Fields would be tempting. He really would be, um, even with Darnold, but he's 
they're none of them are Finish none of them are surefire bets. Like I think that this if it's the same draft, I mean Lawrence is gonna I mean, just because he hits every checkbox, but he's not a polished quarterback. Um, but he'll probably end up being a pretty good quarterback. Fields, I just kind of I waver on him. But the last guy mm-hmm. that I kind of wavered on that where you could kind of maybe nitpick a little bit was Watson. And Watson was, of course, now we're talking about him nonstop. So I think Fields could have that sort of potential, but he's just not the leader. He doesn't seem to have the intangibles that Watson had. And that is, you just can't measure that. And that's what actually pushes them ahead. So it'd be, it would be a very, very tough decision for me. I'd probably go Fields, but I'm, may just take Darnold, take my beating for another season, and try and get a better pick the following season. That's exactly what I would do, John. Um, I, I was watching some of the quarterbacks this year. I was watching um, Jesus, Justin Fields and Zach Wilson. I actually like Zach Wilson more than than uh, Justin Fields. Justin Fields is very raw. He has a super high ceiling. Don't get me wrong. He's got all the athleticism and the arm strength that you could want, but um, he's very flat-footed in the pocket. He doesn't go through his reads very quickly. He has some issues that I've seen. Um, and with Zach Wilson, man, I see a bit of like the it factor in Zach Wilson, the ability to make those big off-script plays like a like a Watson, like a Mahomes. So I really like the potential there with him. But I'm just not sold on any of those guys, especially not at two. And so I'm with you. And and my whole thing is I want to trade down, just amass another first-round pick for the next year, and maybe even another second-round pick because. That number two pick is, is going to be super, super valuable. Um, so trade down. And like you said, see what Darnold or Tua, whoever you get, um, gets. I guess in the situation is Darnold. But see what he can do for you. Um, Adam Gase is just as bad as Bill O'Brien, if not worse. So see what he can do for you and build the house around the quarterback. I don't want to get a raw quarterback like Justin Fields or like Zach Wilson. Throw them into a situation where they ain't got no help. We've seen Deshaun Watson himself, an MVP level candidate quarterback, can only get us to win four games. So you remove him from the equation, and that is an 0 16 team borderline. You want to throw a rookie, raw quarterback into that situation? You want to stunt his development and potentially ruin his his career? This ain't going to be David Carr all over again. I don't want that. So I'd be very, very in favor of trading down, maybe getting Penne Sawai, maybe getting the best defender available, maybe even just getting Devontae Smith, best wide receiver. Maybe even Kyle Pitts. I don't know. But build the house around them, surround the quarterback, future quarterback with a great situation so that when he comes in, there's not a lot of pressure for him to perform and, and he can develop at his own pace. That's that's what my my dream scenario would be. But hopefully, hopefully it never has to get there. And uh and yeah, but that'll be it for me with the questions. I'll answer the rest of y'all on Twitter. Thank you for for asking, man. Back to you, John. All right, I'm gonna ask this question real quick to Pat, just in case I have to cut it. Um, what happened to Dabble? Um, last I heard, he wanted nothing to do with what's going on here. Um, I don't know. I didn't ask too much on it. It was pretty telling to me that if he's not willing to come here and work with somebody that he's got a relationship with from the past with, with Jack and Nick, then it just wasn't meant to be. So he was the offensive coordinator that was floated as thinking that his team is closer to the Super Bowl, and that's his main goal. Yeah. Plus, he was pretty set on the San Diego job. 
Fair enough. So. All right. I didn't have to cut it. I get to keep that. Awesome. That that's happiness. Um, anybody got anything they want to add before we before we sign off? EB gonna be the coach. Knocking on my wood desk. Let's go. There you go. I'm in agreement. I am in total. I embrace people. I hope so. For what's coming. Uh, Real quick before you do it. Um there's a strong chance that it, the trade request is going to happen. Like a very strong chance. Um, so just be prepared for it. Know it's coming. I know it's going to hurt. Um, it's going to suck to see it. But it's. I'd put it at about 80-20 right now that he's on this roster next year. Um, 20% being that he's here, 80% he's elsewhere. Uh, that sucks to talk about. I mean, you can tell in my voice that it, it hurts me to say it just because, you know, we, we waited so long for this kid. Um, not saying it's done. I don't think Nick's going to fold, but uh, it's going to, it's going to take some, some, some hard work from Nick in the, in the front office and from ownership to, to smooth things over for him. To want to to want to play for this team anymore. Well, Pat, thank you for ruining our night. Um, yep, we're supposed to make people feel better. We, we promised them a happy show at the beginning, Pat. You, call, you made me be a liar. Um, all right, um, but I do go back to our original point. It does take it does take both sides to want to move on from them. If Nick wants to call his bluff, there's nothing he can do. Um, he can request the trade all he wants, but if he wants to play. He's going to be a Texan if he wants to play. I just, I, everything's stacked against him. I cannot see Deshaun Watson becoming a locker room distraction and destroying his reputation to get traded because that's the only way they'd move on from him. If he shows up, shows up angry, but shows up and wants to work and win, he'll be a Texan. If he really wants to play football next year, he's probably going to have to play for the Texans. You just can't get the assets in return that you would need to move on from somebody like that again. But I know, you know, people, so you're going to, you know, kill my mood, but I'm going to keep telling myself, I'm going to keep trying to be positive on this. All right. Well, to everybody in chat, to everybody listening at home, thank you so much for joining us this evening. I am sorry that Pat turned me into a liar. Um, you can follow us at Houston FB pod. Uh, you can follow me at John A. Wade 3. You can follow Pat at PatStormTU. You can follow Jordan at Texans underscore thoughts. Um, James, if you really want to hit him and keep bugging him to come back on, hit him up at Houston FB Pod Guy. And JR, who does a lot of our writing, a lot of our social media, hit him up at JRL Sports TU. Uh, John V, will you give a shout out for yourself? Yeah, um, I'm at Sports of John V on Twitter and Instagram. All right, I will get you added before the end of next week. I, I failed. Blame me on that. Again, thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you next week.